Hi everyone, uh, different venue this week for our talk of the week and we're at Susie's house, uh, Susie and Hugh's house and uh, we're in this series going through looking at who is Jesus from the book of John. So in a minute I'm going to hand over to Susie uh, for this. So uh, you might be watching this as a video or listening to this as a podcast but um, great to be connecting with you like this and we'll be at Hope Chapel at four o'clock on Sunday afternoon if you'd like some space to come and join us in person and uh, a space that we're going to be worshipping outside uh, and uh, we'll be able to talk and pray uh, about what Susie's speaking on today and then there'll be the usual youth and, and children and then on the 25th, a couple of weeks time we're all getting together outside at Silas Nanny's for baptisms in their, in their garden then we're going to have a, a church outside this is our first kind of get together of the whole church um, in person uh, for a long time, hasn't it been? and uh, so that and bring a picnic along for that more details to come but that's our next next couple of weeks. And just going to hand over to Susie now, and we're going to jump into, into John. So, Lord, as, as Susie speaks to us, we pray that um, you speak to, speak to us through her. Amen. Hello. Um, hello, Hope. It's lovely to be with you today. I want to start by thinking about one of my favourite quotes. Imagine how we would be if we were less afraid. And that's by Charlie Mackesy, who is an amazing author and illustrator. He's a friend of Silas and Annie's, and he wrote a beautiful illustrated book, which you may have seen, the sort of number one bestseller for months and months, The Boy, the Fox, the Mole and the Horse. And it's full of really aspirational quotes. But my favourite, I think, is this one. Imagine how we would be if we were less afraid. And I've actually got it up hanging in my GP office and I often point my patients towards it when they're sort of struggling with their mental health to try and aspire them to think differently about what life might look like if they were less afraid. And that's what I want us to think about today. I want us to imagine a life without fear. And let's break that down a little bit. What do our relationships look like without fear of man? What does it look like to walk into a room and maybe not worry about what people are thinking about you, or what people are saying about you? What does your workplace look like or your job look like without anxiety over your performance or about job insecurities? Now, this is a really tough one, but what does singleness look like without being afraid you won't meet the right person? What does your marriage look like without being afraid of rejection or being afraid of arguments? I think this is the biggest one for me, but what does parenthood look like without being afraid for our children's future? What does health look like without being afraid of illness? This is so relevant at the moment because we're obviously in the middle of a pandemic. What's it look like not to be afraid of COVID? Now I'm not talking about being foolish or breaking rules. I'm talking about what's it look like to walk through the middle of a, of a really real health pandemic without being afraid of it. Now, obviously, um, fear has got uses and advantages. So when we cross the road, we obviously check for, for danger. We check for cars. And obviously, um, there is a natural advantage to, to being afraid in certain situations. But sometimes that becomes excessive and over the top. So what I'm talking about is when does fear inhibit or reduce our ability to walk in the fullness 
that life has for you, that God has for you. And my aim of this talk is just to envision a life without without fear or with less fear to start dreaming of what our lives could look like. Now, to do this, I want to catapult us into the boat with the disciples in John 6. And I'm just going to start by reading to you. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to John 6, um, verse 6. So when evening came, the disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now, it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So I want you to come and join me in that boat with the disciples. The waves are crashing around, it's dark, the storm's blowing, the disciples are desperately pulling their oars, trying to row across the Sea of Galilee to safety. It's probably sweaty, it's noisy, and um, there's fear. So despite many of the disciples being fishermen, they're used to boats, they were afraid. Now, if um, the disciples were anything like me in a crisis, it probably wasn't very pretty. There might have been a bit of accusation, a bit of blame going around the boat, Whose idea was it to, you know, row across the Sea of Galilee just before night time? Or did no one check the weather forecast? Why did we leave Jesus behind? We should have waited for him. Um, and often it's my poor husband, Hugh, who gets the blame um, when we make mistakes or things are going a bit wrong. But actually, um, so there's probably a little bit of manifesting going on in the boat. Now, where's Jesus at this moment? He's on the other side of the lake. He's just fed 5,000 people. And he's taking himself off to pray. But he sees the disciples. He knows exactly where they are. He knows that they're in a small boat, in a rough sea, in the dark. And he knows that they're afraid. He sees that they're in trouble. And um, he walks right over to them. And I just love how understated this miracle is. He walks three miles across the Sea of Galilee, in the dark, in a storm, to help them. And I think it's the most understated miracle in the whole Bible. He's not walking up to Clifton Village to give them a hand because their car's broken down. He walks across the water to rescue them. It's amazing. He meets them in, in their trouble. However, his presence actually evokes more fear. So the disciples, in their frenzy and panic, in some other books it says they think he's a ghost, um, they're actually more afraid when they, when they see him walking across the water. And he says to them, he says, it is I, don't be afraid. And only then do they realise who he is and who he ha- who's come to rescue them. And they let him in the boat and the storm stops. Now, the disciples, I think, are so busy rowing. They're so busy kind of trying to solve the, the problem, trying to get out of the trouble they're in that they don't actually see or recognise Jesus for a while. It's not until he declares himself. It's not until he tells them, it's I, don't be afraid, that they realise who it is and and they let him in the boat. But the truth is, um, he was with them all the time. 
He's with them when he's on the other side of the lake. He's with them when he's walking across the water. It must have taken him quite a long time to reach them. He's with them all that time he's walking across to them. And he's with them even when they don't recognise him. He's with them when he's when the, the disciples are afraid and don't know who he is. And he's definitely with them when they let him in the boat and the storm stops. Those powerful words, it is I, don't be afraid. So we are all in um, our own boats and we're all in um, different phases probably of life and of storms. Sometimes life seems a bit quieter, um, there's less going on, maybe we're just sailing along quite nicely. And at other times we're thrown into deep, deep storms that are really tough and, and really challenging. And sometimes it, it's so hard, isn't it, when everything's crashing around us and it's hard to know that Jesus is with us. And sometimes I can be so busy trying to find a solution to the storm that I can miss the fact that Jesus is right there next to me. I just need to stop and let him in the boat and let his calm and perfect presence calm that storm. But um, it, yeah, it's just such a challenge, isn't it, to stop and listen and know that Jesus is with us. And I've been so challenged um, by Guy and Tanya. And at the moment, many of you will know that Guy's um, battling with cancer. And I just love the, the peace and the presence and the way that Jesus is in them, in the storm, in that boat. And they are just witnessing to all of us how it is to walk through a really, really dark storm and yet know that Jesus is alongside them. And as a church, we just really stand with them at the moment. Um, and we just say, it is I, don't be afraid, that Jesus is with them and he carries the same power of those words now as he did 2,000 years ago. And um, I've had a few different storms in my life that I thought I would would share with you that you can, and one of them was, was a long time ago, it's actually on my gap here, and I was in um, Uganda, and I was in a tiny little village in the southwest of Uganda, and I've been living there for eight months and really integrated myself into the community, worked in a school and with compassion, and I, and I loved it, I absolutely loved it. But as only a 19-year-old would, I very foolishly um, brought up the issue with how giving in the church happens in Uganda with the headmaster, because it was very public. And I um, very foolishly sort of quoted scripture at the headmaster to, to suggest they weren't doing it the right way. Now, this obviously caused huge offence. And the headmaster, who was the chief church warden, wanted to throw um, Becky, the girl I was with, and I out of the village. And we were mortified. We'd been here for eight months. We had a month to go. And we loved we loved our, our village and the, and the children. And we were just so upset that we had caused sort of such offence and we were about to be sent home. So we were praying. We we're on our own. We were just desperate, asking for God to come and bring some resolution to the situation but nothing was changing and the date with which we had to leave was, was drawing closer. And then we heard that some there were Mzungu, which means white men, were coming to, to preach on Saturday to the, to the village and to the orphan project. And we were actually really annoyed because Saturday was our day with the orphans and we were looking forward to our last one. And we thought, oh, we really don't want to have other people come and take away sort of the attention um, and our last Saturday. And but begrudgingly, we went over to the school where, it, where the meeting was being held. 
and a little while later a minibus rolled up and out of the minibus rolled 12 of my best friends from England. Now I had no idea that they were coming to Uganda, there wasn't even email at the time and it was 12 of my friends for a Christian organisation on the Stewards Trust and then they turned up out of the minibus. I just couldn't believe it to my little village in the middle of Uganda whilst I was there on my gap year. And um, after the initial shock and just so encouraging to see a friendly face, um, they started preaching and they preached on reconciliation and forgiveness. And it was just so powerful. And at the end of it, the headmaster came up to me and gave me a huge handshake. And he said, well, let, let's put this behind us. And he, he forgave me and let me stay in the village. And it was just one of the most incredible moments of my life where I literally felt that Jesus was walking across water to meet me in my boat in the middle of my storm. It was so powerful that he would send 12 of my friends to me in a tiny village in Uganda, in the middle of nowhere, when no one else knew I was. And Jesus can do that. He, he will send people, he'll send situations to, to help us, to, to bring resolution, to rescue us when we call out to him. And I had another storm that felt... Um, I guess that Jesus was really with me, but maybe the answer didn't come so suddenly. So I've talked about this before, but when, um, just after I got married from Hugh to Hugh, I became really ill with a, with a rare lung condition and I was really breathless. I couldn't walk across the room and I ended up being admitted to the BRI to have a lung biopsy. And I'd really been told that this biopsy was to confirm that I had a very poor prognosis that I was likely going to to die from this illness. And um, obviously there'd been a huge amount of fear um, approaching the biopsy and it's actually very scary to not be able to breathe. And as I was lying in my hospital bed, I was wearing one of those hospital gowns and I felt so vulnerable. I was on oxygen and I was waiting to go to theatre. I just felt God's presence wash over me in the most incredible way. And God, I just felt his sort of audible voice say, it's, it's going to be afraid. It's going to be okay. Don't be afraid. You know, again, that's, it's I. Don't be afraid. And so I had my biopsy and I went in with the most incredible peace um, that I've ever felt, despite it being a, a huge storm. And really in the physical terms, in medical terms, it wasn't looking great. But the next day I'd come around for my anaesthetic I got a phone call. It was a Sunday afternoon um, from my consultant, which is very unusual. Um, but she phoned me at the um, BRI to say, oh, I've had the histology back from your biopsy. It, it's amazing. But we think it's something completely different that's actually curable. Um, and it was it was amazing. It was it was against all the, I guess, medical odds at the time. And I made a, an amazing recovery. Although I had several years of ill health, it wasn't a storm that just went away. And it wasn't a storm where I wasn't healed, but there was there was a treatment, um, there was medical treatment available and amazed, made an amazing recovery. And I'll never do it again, but I did run a half marathon a few years ago just to celebrate the fact that my lungs were that much better that I could run. And I put a testimony on Facebook just to say, actually, no one thought I would ever do this again. But here I am. I must admit, it, it did nearly kill me. <laughs> I, I did it because I wanted to, to celebrate that that recovery and that success. And that Jesus, he was he was with me in that storm. And it he hadn't abandoned me. He was he's there. And sometimes we might feel that Jesus is a long way away, but actually 
Jesus is with us. He's with us when he's on the, the side of the lakeside and he's with us when he, he joins us in the boat to calm the storm. And he knows our needs. And I'll never cease to marvel at, at the God we believe in because he, he came to earth to join us in our messiness. He, he didn't stay in heaven and leave us um, in, in our mess and in our storm. He came to earth in human form and, and Jesus joined us. He joined the, he joined mankind. He joined humanity to rescue us, to join us in our boat. And I think that's so powerful, isn't it? When we think about who Jesus is, when we think about his character, that we know um, that he's there, that he's with us, that he never, never leaves us. So just to change track a little bit, I want to think a bit about the um, woman at the well in John 4. And Andrew spoke about this um, a few weeks ago. But I just want to think about how Jesus brought her such incredible freedom from her storm that was a little bit different. So if just to backtrack on the story, we all know that um, Jesus um, went to a well um, in the middle of the day. His disciples had gone off to um, get some food. Jesus was tired and there was a Samaritan woman drawing water at the time and he asked her for a drink, which was very culturally insensitive um, and a huge deal because Jesus was a Jew and she was a Samaritan woman. But they get into conversation and in the conversation, um, Jesus offers her his everlasting water that never runs thirsty and also exposes very gently and lovingly her, her past and her, and her shame which is that she's been married five times. But out of this encounter, the woman sort of runs back to her village to tell them she's met the Messiah. So to put this in context, I want you to imagine the midday sun, it's 40 degree heat, it's boiling hot, um, it's dusty and sweaty and the ground's maybe dry and cracked, the sun's beaming down on them. And in that moment, in the midday sun is a Samaritan woman who's trying desperately not to be seen. She's thirsty, she needs a drink, she's gone out to the well, but she's come at midday to avoid contact with people. She's come so that she won't be seen. She's in a sort of enforced self-isolation. Now, um, we've experienced this this year um, in COVID, haven't we? What it's like to be forced to isolate, to be on our own. And it and it's not easy. I've just done a couple of weeks at home with my kids isolating and, and it's really hard, isn't it, when social contact is reduced and, and you're on your own. But this Samaritan woman, because of who she was, was in a sort of self-enforced isolation all the time to avoid contact with people because she was so ashamed. But Jesus sees her. He sees her at the well. He notices her. He knows that she's there. He sees her storm. He sees this isolation, the shame, the abuse. He sees her fear of man, the rejection that she's experienced that's led her to retreat and hide. So her storm, it's not physical, but it's emotional. The years of rejection, the failed relationships, the emotional scars, he sees it all. Yet with one conversation, Jesus frees her so she can leave that all behind and she's able to run back to the village and tell them the good news of Jesus. It's an incredible transformation, isn't it? From complete fear of man, from social isolation, back into community and actually being the one who invites others rather than, rather than being the one who feels rejected. 
And he, how he does it is just incredible, isn't it? He does it through love, but he also does it through exposing her area of weakness that's holding her back. And that really was this shame of her five failed, failed marriages and the fact she was living with a sick man. And that shame, that secret, was keeping her hidden, keeping her locked away. And in such a loving way, Jesus doesn't even accuse her of anything. He doesn't say it's wrong. He just has to mention the word husband. And actually the woman, then that dark, that dark sort of secret in her, it pours out. And she is the one to share it with Jesus. But out of that truth, out of that moment of weakness, comes healing, comes revelation, and comes the unlocking that sets the woman free. So Jesus meets her in her boat. He walks out to meet her, not across the sea, but across the desert. She's not in a physical storm, she's in an emotional storm. And he comes and he promises her living water where she'll never be thirsty, she'll never be lonely again. She's got Jesus with her in her boat. And it's just such an amazing transformation that she can then be the one to invite her whole community to meet the Messiah. And it's incredible, isn't it, the power of Jesus, that one conversation can transform an entire life around. And back to thinking um, at the beginning, imagine how we would feel if we were less afraid. And for that Samaritan woman, you can see that being less afraid is just a total transformation of her whole life. So let's not let shame or fear or fear of exposure keep us hiding from Jesus or keep us hiding from other people. It just takes one conversation with Jesus. It takes just healing of some of our past areas of weakness for his love to bring total transformation and change. And often it's um, shame is so intrinsically linked with fear because we're afraid of other people's reactions if, uh, if we fall short. Or maybe we're afraid, what would they think of us if they saw who we really are? And I think as a nation, we're on such an interesting journey that this has been really um, exposed by social media, that we um, now live in a society where we feel we need to portray the perfect curated image of our lives, where we share the highlight reels, the best bits, the smiling family photos, where any imperfections are filtered out, um, where we choose to show the best bits, but actually the messiness, the arguments, our failings, our weaknesses, um, none of those are shown. They're all hidden away. They're put in a dark cupboard um, because we don't want people to see that side of us. We don't want to show our weakness. But actually, when we think about who Jesus is, it, it's crazy, isn't it, that we want to hide those bits of us? Because actually, it's it's the real me. It's the real brokenness. It's in our place of need, it's in our place of shame, that he wants to meet us. That's why he came to meet the woman at the well. He came to meet the, the most broken woman in the village. He didn't come to meet the village leaders. He didn't go into the town to, to save the, the, the village elders. He came to meet the sickest woman in the whole village and to lead her to freedom. Jesus, you know, he said he came for the sick, not the healthy. He has called, he came to call not the righteous, but the sinners. And we just need to remember who Jesus is, that he never condemns us, that he wants to meet us in the boat. He wants us to let him in to every area of our life. So let's, let's not try to be perfect, but let's try to be like um, the women at the well. I'm ready to, to meet Jesus from our place of need, ready to let him into our boat, ready to allow him 
to bring his perfect and peaceful presence to calm the storm and just encourage us to, as a community, get around each other, to believe that there is an amazing um, overcoming that can happen when we let Jesus into our boat. So enjoy the rest of your day and hope to see you soon. Thank you.